Sometimes you have a great idea, a really creative idea, or like a really funny idea, and in your head, it seems so good. Like it sounds so perfect, and, and, and then when it comes out, it just kind of falls flat. You thought it was going to have this big impact, but then you made the presentation at the meeting, and you used that one line, and nobody got it, and, and nobody was that interested in that one thing. Uh, maybe that never happens to you. It happens to me um, rather frequently uh, when a significant part of your job is to present ideas every seven days. Uh, to come up with a talk every seven days, to come up with a series idea every four to eight weeks. You have some really good thoughts in your head that don't always pan out when they come out of your mouth. Uh, we're in a series on regrets, and regrets are about mistakes. Right? You make a mistake, and then you regret making that mistake. So we had this great idea. I had this great idea that we would communicate the idea of mistakes by having a typo in the graphic that we used for the series. And it would be so obvious that we were tying into the theme that everybody would get it and would laugh. That's not what happened. The typo police showed up in force this past week. We received no small amount of emails and text messages and direct messages and one-on-one -on -one conversations with people asking, did you know a word's misspelled in the graphic? Yes, that was the whole plan that nobody seemed to get. So we have changed the graphic. All of the typo police can take a deep breath. And we get it. You were concerned for us. You know, you love us, you care about us, you care about the perception of the church, you didn't want people to think that we were grammatically challenged here at Journey Church, and so you did it out of a heart of love. Um, at the same time, let's be honest, sometimes pointing out mistakes makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel superior to point out all the ways that you messed up when you said something or did something or posted something. That's actually one of the reasons that, that regrets are difficult to get over. On the one hand, most of us have an inner voice when we make mistakes. We have an inner voice that reminds us of our past mistakes. Uh, depending on our personalities or our experiences or our backgrounds, uh, some of us have an inner critic, it's sometimes called in personality language. We have an inner critic that continually tells us all the ways we've messed up. Now, if you combine an inner critic with outer critics, like it's not just you telling yourself how much you've messed up, but it's people, other people constantly reminding you how much you've messed up, that makes it difficult to move beyond the regrets of our past. Now, we said last week, there's some good in regret. Regret is not all bad. Uh, re regret, in a helpful sense, can help us realize when we've messed up. It can be that little warning signal. Hey, that, you shouldn't have said that. Hey, you did the wrong thing. Hey, you probably need to clear this up. This relationship was a bad idea. Regret, in a healthy sense, is, is a warning signal that this is a bad move. probably shouldn't do that again. Uh, it, it often motivates us to apologize where we need to. I, I need to go back and apologize. I realize that was the wrong thing to do, 
Or to say, we said last week, regret motivates us to change sometimes. It, it motivates us to do things differently. I did it that way. It was a disaster. I don't ever want to do it that way again. In those senses, regret is a positive thing. Uh, most importantly, as we, as we discussed, regret helps turn our hearts back to God. Like when we've been going away from God, when we've been living in disobedience, or, or we would say sin, uh, we have been living contrary to what God wants for us to have a sense of regret. We might call it conviction or feeling bad or, or whatever we want to call it, but that sense of regret is intended by God. Last week we talked about the kindness of God allows us to feel that so we'll turn back to Him. So there's some really good aspects of regret, but there is a point at which regret is no longer a helpful thing, it's become a harmful thing. It's no longer a healthy thing, it's become a horrible thing. Here's how I would differentiate the two. Regret is helpful when it's a tutor, but it's horrible when it's a bully. Regret is helpful when it's a tutor. It's horrible when it's a bully. Uh, if you ever needed a tutor in school, you get the concept, right? You're struggling in a subject. You keep making the same mistakes. Your grades aren't good in a particular subject, so you get a tutor. And what does the tutor do? Well, they point out your mistakes. The reason you're failing algebra is because you keep making these mistakes in the equations. This is why you don't get the right answer, so let's correct those. Let me show you how not to do that and how to do it the right way so that you get the right answer. That's what tutors do. They, they help us identify mistakes so we can stop making them and make a better grade. You, you keep failing your English papers. Well, here's why. You keep making these grammatical mistakes. Let's fix those. Let's change those. You're formatting your paper in a way that the professor doesn't want you to format. Let's fix the formatting so you stop losing points in that way. And then you're going to get better. Then you're going to do it differently. When regret is a tutor, it's extremely helpful to help us make necessary changes. But for some of us, at times in our life... Regret moves from being a helpful tutor to being a constant bully. It's just constantly criticizing us, constantly negative, constantly tearing us down, continually reminding us of the mistakes that we made in the past. Some, some of us perhaps experienced bullying. Bullying is a, a problem today. I think it's always been a problem. We just have more ways to bully people now thanks to the internet and social media and you can bully somebody without actually looking at their face. We have, we have all of these ways to intimidate other people. If you ever experienced that at school, you know the dread that came with having to go face that every day. Fearing that you might see that person, that person who was going to embarrass you, that person who was going to point out all of your flaws, exaggerate everything negative about you, make up things about you, or even worse. And it was constant. It's this constant dread that hung over your life. Regret can be that way. Regret can be a real bully. Regret can pull things from the recent past or even the distant past, years and years ago, resurface them in our life and accuse us over and over again. In the book of Revelation, the devil is called 
the accuser, because that's one of the main things he does. To limit our, um, our ability to be all that God called us to be, he'll just remind us of all of our mistakes. He just keeps accusing and accusing and picking and picking and bullying and bullying. Regret's a great tutor, but it's horrible when it becomes a bully. Now, Jesus responds to our past mistakes much differently than a bully would respond. I'm going to run quickly through a couple of stories in the New Testament. In John chapter 4, there's a fairly familiar story. Jesus and the disciples are going to Samaria. They come to a well. Jesus is tired, and so he wants to just hang out. So he sits down. The disciples all go into town. And in the middle of the day, a woman comes out to the well. Because she's coming in the middle of the day, we know this woman is ostracized from society because nobody comes to a well in the middle of the day. You come early in the morning, you come late at evening when the weather's cooler. You don't come in the middle of the day unless you're trying to avoid people. Unless you're trying to avoid the way certain people look at you or the things that certain people might say about you. So here's a woman already ostracized. She comes to the well and Jesus begins to talk to her. They get into this spiritual, theological conversation when at one point Jesus offers eternal life to this woman. He, he calls it living water. Living water. It'll never run dry. You'll always be satisfied. It will satisfy your soul for all of eternity. And the woman wants this. Here's what she says. John 4, verse 14. The woman said to Jesus, Sir... Give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus gives an open invitation, eternal life. And she says, yes. Jesus' next move is not to ask her to pray a prayer. Jesus doesn't say, repeat this prayer after me if you want to have this eternal life for yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't ask her to fill out a commitment card. He doesn't invite her to the next new members class. He doesn't say, well, you can join our church. He doesn't do any of that. This is what happens next in verse 16. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite True. Now, here's a woman. She's ready to respond to the message of Jesus. And Jesus surfaces all of the mistakes she's ever made in her life. Jesus puts his finger on all of her regrets, all of the darkness of her past. Every time she'd been abandoned, every time she'd been betrayed, every time a man had used her and then walked away from all of the regrets of her past, the biggest regrets of her past, Jesus brings into the light. You remember the disciple Thomas. Jesus dies, he, he comes back from the dead, and he appears to his disciples except Thomas isn't in the room. And then the disciples find Thomas and they say, we all saw Jesus. And Thomas doesn't believe them. We, we, we reference him as doubting Thomas sometimes. Now, all of the rest of the disciples would have doubted too if they hadn't been in the room. None of them believed Jesus was going to come back from the grave either. But Thomas wasn't there, doesn't believe their report. 
So a, a few days later, same thing happens. Jesus shows up to his disciples. All of the disciples, including Thomas, are present. And this is what happens in John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus could have avoided the whole uncomfortable conversation. Jesus could have shown up and his mentality could have been, I'm going to be there. Thomas is going to see me. It's going to be fine. We don't really need to talk about it. As a matter of fact, I sort of hope the conversation doesn't come up because that's the way we sometimes approach things. We sometimes approach things with, well, i got to be there with that person, and she knows what she did, and I know what she did. Let's just hope it doesn't come up. Jesus was not a let's hope it doesn't come up type of person. Jesus stands in front of the disciples, greets them, and then specifically says, Thomas, I know what you did. Come here. Touch my hands. Look at my side. Let's deal with this. He does the same thing to Peter. If you remember, Peter denies Jesus three times the night Jesus is arrested, denies ever knowing him. After the third time, Jesus looks directly at Peter, so Peter knows, Jesus knows. Then a few days after the resurrection, Jesus meets the disciples beside a lake on a beach, and he invites Peter to go for a walk. And as they are walking away, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He never mentioned specifically the betrayal, but they both know what he's talking about. They both know where the conversation is going. They, they both know what Jesus is getting at. Here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't avoid the hard conversations with us. He doesn't avoid the mistakes that we've made, the regrets that we've had. He doesn't avoid having the hard conversation, but there's always a purpose behind the hard conversation. There's a reason why Jesus brings these things to light, and here's what I think it is. Jesus surfaces our regrets to remind us that He already knows about our failures, and He's staying with us anyway. I think that's one of the main reasons Jesus does this. I don't want to just avoid the conversation. I don't want to have the conversation 20 times, Jesus, Jesus would say. But I don't want to avoid the conversation. I want you to know that I know. I saw it. I know what you did. I saw what happened. But I want you to know I'm not walking away from you. I'm still here. I'm still with you. I'm still for you. In John chapter 4, a woman at a well any person who knew about her past stayed away from her. That's why she's drawing water in the middle of the day. Anyone who knew about all of the husbands and all the relationships and all of the brokenness and all of the betrayal and all of the abandonment that she had experienced, anyone who knew those stories stayed as far away from her as they could get. And Jesus one day says, I know everything and I'm not going anywhere. I know everything about you and your past. And look, I'm still here. You're not getting rid of me. Thomas is the same way. 
Thomas, I know what you said. I know how you doubted. Come here. Touch my hands if you need to because I'm not going anywhere. Peter, three times, you denied me. One of the biggest mistakes of your life. You know that I know. I saw you. You saw me. I know all about it. I'm not going anywhere. One of the ways that you and I keep regret from becoming a bully in our life is to realize Jesus already knows and he's not going anywhere. Jesus already knows and he's not abandoning us. He's not walking away from us. He's not done with us. See, here's what we have to be convinced of. Jesus is either capable of forgiving our biggest failures or he's just not the Messiah. He is either capable of handling whatever is in your past or he's not God. He's not a God full of grace and forgiveness. If there's something in your life that can trip him up, and guess what? There's not. You're not the one exception. Jesus doesn't look at your life and say, I'm able to forgive everybody except that one. I'm able to forgive everybody except what he did. I'm able to forgive everybody except for what she You are not the exception to grace. No matter how much you bear it, no matter how much it bullies you, you are not the exception to the overwhelming grace of Jesus. Jesus does not avoid the failure. It's our chance to say it was a big mistake and the grace of Jesus is bigger than that mistake or any mistake that I will ever make in my future. Something else. We can't become who Jesus wants us to become until we relinquish our regrets to His forgiveness. If we are allowing Regret to continually bully us, remind us, beat us down. We're not going to become the person that Jesus wants us to become on this side of forgiveness. Think think about the woman at the well. She's sneaking out to the well in the middle of the day. She doesn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. She doesn't want to be seen by anybody. She's trying to get there and get back because she knows what happens when people run into her. And immediately, after experiencing the grace of Jesus, she runs back into town and talks to everybody. There is this freedom that comes over her. There is this joy that comes over her. She runs back into town, no longer inhibited, no longer ashamed, and says, you, you won't believe this guy that I talked to. He knows everything about me. Come meet this person. That woman doesn't show up until she meets the forgiveness of Jesus. The woman carrying around all of the husbands and all of the abandonment and all of the betrayal doesn't do what she did until she meets grace. Thomas becomes uh, the first missionary to India. History tells us that he ends up dying in India as he's sharing the gospel in India. That Thomas never happens... Unless he meets the grace of Jesus. Unless he meets the forgiveness of Jesus. Peter shares the gospel in front of rulers and kings, leads the early church. Because his regrets were relinquished to the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. 
You and I aren't going to become the person that Jesus intends for us to be if we live our life bullied by regret year after year after year instead of allowing the grace of Jesus to do its work in our life. Here's a question. What might God accomplish through you if you would allow God's forgiveness to stand up to the bully of regret in your life? What's on the other side of grace in your life? You're dealing with this constant attack for your past, for your mistakes, for your brokenness. What might you become if you allow God to free you from that? Not denying that it happened, not even denying that it, that it was a mistake or, or, or that it was a, a bad decision, not denying what happened, but receiving the truth of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus so that you can become who He wants you to become on the other side of His forgiveness. The Bible's full of promises about this. Not just in story form, but throughout the Bible, there are these promises that you and I can rely on the forgiveness of God in our life. In the, in the book of 1 John, many, many of us are finishing up 1 John. We, if you don't have a, a daily reading plan in, in your Bible, we try to provide one on the church Facebook page. We, we all read the same book together. We read a chapter a day, and then I provide a few comments on our Facebook page. If you haven't joined us for that, and you're not reading God's Word somehow... Follow us on Facebook, and, and you'll get those devotions every day. You can listen to them audibly on Alexa as well. We're finishing up the book of 1 John tomorrow. So we've been in 1 John all of this week. It's a short book. We're going to finish up tomorrow. At the beginning of 1 John, here's some of John's thoughts. He writes uh, in verse 7, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not us is not in us. So John is following Jesus' pattern to say, look, yeah, let's, sur- let's be real. Let's be honest. Like, let's surface the fact that we've all got mistakes. We've all got stuff. We've all got junk in the past. If you deny that, then you're not telling the truth. Next verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The truth that you and I have all messed up is balanced with the truth that God is able to forgive. And and when we deny the second part, we're we're calling God a liar. We're saying that God, you must not be telling the truth. We are questioning whether God is faithful and just because that's what John said says, he's, God is faithful and just to do this. He will do this. And if you and I allow the bully of regret just to continue to accuse and accuse and accuse, we are bringing into question whether we believe God is faithful and just. A, a verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Old Testament and New Testament tell the same thing. Whatever's in your past, whatever's in my past, 
Whatever mistake we make today or tomorrow or next year, because of God's grace, our transgressions can be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. They can be taken away. To believe anything else, to punish ourselves, is to call God a liar. God, you, you must not be telling us the truth. And, and maybe for some of us, we need to commit some of these verses to memory, or at least to be able to paraphrase them, so that the next time the bully of regret starts in on you, you're able to say, regardless of how I feel about my past, I know that because of Jesus, my, my sins are as far from me as the east is from the west. I know I've made mistakes, but God is faithful and just to forgive my sin. I am not the exception to the rule. I'm not the one person in all of history that God can't forgive. You're just not. His grace and forgiveness is available to you. So don't be bullied by regret. Most importantly, you and I have to Remember, affirm, remind ourselves that Jesus took all of our sin and regret with Him to the cross. It's the whole reason the cross was necessary. If you and I could have made it through this life with no mistakes, with no sin, the cross would not be necessary, but we couldn't. None of us could. Jesus came and died and rose again so that whatever regret might bully us was put on Him and He paid for it. The Bible uses the word, He atoned for it. He took everything from my life, everything from your life. You and I don't have to carry that anymore. Yes, we can learn from regret. We can learn from mistakes and we can change and we can be different. We don't have to keep paying the penalty for it, though. Because of Jesus, the penalty has been taken away through His grace and through His forgiveness. No matter what you've done. No matter what you will do from this day forward. It's why we wanted, at the end of, of this message, to come back to the Lord's table to come to communion because it's the most tangible, visible symbol we have that our sin has been taken away. Our regret has been removed as far as the east is from the west, not because of us, but because Jesus did indeed come and live and die and rose again. His body was broken. His blood was shed for our sins, for all of our regrets. And He offers forgiveness freely to us. So the band's going to come in just a minute. They're going to play. And I'm going to invite you to, to celebrate the forgiveness of Jesus through the Lord's Supper with me. Realizing that He has paid the penalty for anything that's in your past. Anything that's in your future. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Him, then I invite you to join us in this celebration. 
I, I invite you to bring your regret, whatever that thing is that keeps bullying you, bring it with you. When you take the bread, when you dip it in the cup and release it again to the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, which is infinite and unending, and you are not the exception. God, we thank you that regardless of the past, regardless of mistakes, regardless of wrong decisions and turns and relationships and brokenness, your forgiveness is offered freely, infinitely. And we come to you confessing what John said. None of us are without sin. None of us are perfect. We've all messed up. But you are faithful and just in your forgiveness. You offer it through Jesus so freely. And now we come to this time where we're reminded there was a high price paid for our forgiveness. And it was the life, the body, the blood of Jesus. As we take the bread and take the cup, I ask that we would release our sin and our regret again to the overwhelming grace and forgiveness of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.